Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Excellent. Excellent. Hello. Hey, Pops, you ready to talk about eyeballs? Anytime. Got a couple. You? (laughs) (laughs) From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I am Greta Johnson. And this week's episode is a personal one. Yes, this week's episode is about the role that Greta might play in a very new kind of science. A kind of science that could cure once incurable diseases. If all this works, it could change human existence forever. Yeah, no big deal. Really big deal, Greta. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the right place to start this story is Juneau, Alaska, when I was a little kid and I went to the eye doctor for the very first time. I thought we were just going to get glasses, but instead I was diagnosed with vitelliform macular dystrophy. It's a degenerative disease that affects my vision. It's also called best disease, as in B-E-S-T, best. That's a weird name, considering having this is not the best. Yeah, having best disease means that my eyesight is just going to get worse and worse over time. Like, are we talking blindness? I probably won't be, like, completely, totally blind, but my vision is going to get really, really, really bad, and at least so far, there's no way to cure it. Do you remember when I was diagnosed with Best Disease? Yes, I do. What was that I sure do. Uh, We took you to just an optometrist, I believe. That's Jim Johnson, Greta's dad. Uh, Just to have a routine eye check when you were about five, I think. Yeah, I think four or five. Right. And you came home and mom reported that you had best disease. And we thought, whoa, great. Greta, this is something I've known about you for a long time, but we don't really talk about it much other than sometimes when we're like in a meeting, you ask me to zoom in on the screen to make things bigger when we're typing and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's not something I really talk about that much, though I guess I do talk about it with members of my family since it is hereditary. My dad has it and my grandpa John had it, too. Uh, and I'll bet Greta remembers this, too. Yeah. When he would look at you, he would actually be looking off a few degrees yep. in order to uh, to actually see you. Yeah, like just um, above my shoulder, sort of. Y- yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then he did stop driving. I mean, you know, he there were a couple of events where he just didn't see something that just scared him to death. Um, there were some puppies one time, and actually there was a kid one time. I mean, it didn't uh, hurt anybody. Those are the scariest things. Oh, yeah. And I notice it, too. My left eye is worse than my right eye. If I close my right eye and then ask myself, okay, what would it be like to drive if both my eyes were like this? Yeah. I would hand in the keys right now. Yeah. How much is this like macular degeneration? So some people even call this premature macular degeneration. But this kind is genetic. And because it's genetic, it's way rarer. One doctor told me only 10,000 people have it in the U.S. So it's one of those things where, like, most of my life when I've gone to the eye doctor, they're really excited to meet me because they've never actually met someone with best disease. This is like one of those asterisks in the ophthalmologist textbook. So how quickly will you lose your vision? 
So that's a total crapshoot. We have no idea. Mine seems to be progressing slowly so far, but my grandpa's didn't really get that bad until he was in his 50s. And my dad's 60 now, and his has gotten a lot worse, a lot faster just in the last couple of years. Reading is not really pleasurable anymore. It, it's, it's work. Uh, physically, it has an, an, an effect. And you Johnsons are readers, to put it mildly. Like, Jim is the president of the University of Alaska and a voracious reader. Mm -hmm. You read, like, a book a week. Yeah, I like to try to average a book and a half, actually. All right. But, I mean, seriously, like, I think about how throughout my life I've probably made all of these subconscious decisions to make this thing easier for me down the line, right? Like, it's probably why I listen to audiobooks so much. It's why I'm in radio and not working on TV. Like, there's no way I could actually read a teleprompter even now, let alone, you know, 10 or 20 years from now. It's why I'm super freaked out every time I go to the DMV. Like, these are very real things for me. And, you know, I don't know how bad it's going to get. I don't know when it's going to get bad, but I know it's going to get bad. And I know there's no treatment. Or there hasn't been a treatment or the hope of a cure until now. Which brings us to today's episode of Nerdette. Because Jim Johnson has found some scientists that might have a solution. Yeah, I mean, what we're going to talk about today could fix my dad's sight. And it could fix my sight. Like, it could completely change our lives. We're talking about gene editing, experimental gene editing, which means we're also going to need to talk about superhuman mutant-making ethics and, you know, how this might change everything for humanity. yes. For sure. But I think before we go down the mutant rabbit hole, I would like to tell you a little bit about Jim Johnson's Don Quixote-like quest for a solution to this eye problem. So over the last couple of years, as my dad's vision has been getting worse and worse, he's been reaching out to retinal specialists across the U.S. trying to get help with some kind of treatment. And no one has really gotten excited about it. It seemed like Best Disease was just so rare that no one was really spending much time or resources studying it until a few months ago. It was on a Sunday evening, literally two weeks before Labor Day. And my ophthalmologist is, you know, she really thought I needed to go see a specialist. I'm her only Best Disease patient. My dad had been reaching out to all these retina doctors and getting nowhere. So he starts casting a wider net. It was around five o'clock and you know, was drinking a little glass of wine while mom was puttering around in the kitchen. He and my mom are about to cook dinner, and for whatever reason, my mom suggests that he should look at what the University of California in San Francisco is doing. Dad Googles UCSF inherited retinal disease and shoots off an email to a lab doing experimental gene therapy. Then mom said, hey, why don't you go turn on the grill? We're getting close. (laughs) So I walked out on the deck and turned on the grill and came back and I heard this ding. Ding? Already? Yeah. So in the time it's taken him to turn on the grill, they've already gotten back to him saying they want to talk. And so I wrote her back quickly and said, great, looking forward to it. And, you know, put the salmon on the grill or something like that. And then another 20 minutes, half hour later, ding. Ding again? And literally two weeks later, I was down there. Uh, for a full day of imaging. These scientists in San Francisco are super excited to talk to my dad because it turns out our disease just happens to be among the best diseases for experimenting with a new therapy called CRISPR. What is CRISPR? 
Splicing and dicing DNA to create better or tailored life forms is no longer the stuff of science fiction. CRISPR CRISPR could help rid us of diseases like cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, and even HIV and cancer. A scientific storm sweeping the whole world. I describe it as uh, surgery for the cell. You know, it's sort of precise changes. CRISPR is an acronym for this super science fiction sounding treatment that I'll explain more later. But for now, just think of it as editing DNA. We can do that now. Well, maybe that's why my dad is so excited. We live in the future. (laughs) You know, I didn't really realize there was this cloud over me. And I'm sure it's the case with you too, Greta, uh, that, you know, you got this disease. Okay, you live with it kind of like a frog in a a pot of water, the temperature of which is gradually increasing. Uh, But when I met those folks, I just thought, wow, there's a ray of light here. Uh, This is super cool. I wonder if the clouds are different for us because mm-hmm. mine also hasn't gotten that bad yet. Yeah. Yep. So it's difficult to gauge that, you know, I, I think my attitude about it is different, but my my reality of it is also different than yours is still. Well, at, at this point. Right, right. <laughs> you know, eventually you're a frog. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. In a minute, we're going to talk to some doctors and scientists who are working to see if they can fix what's going on in Greta and her dad's eyes. We're going to talk about this CRISPR thing, how it works, what it might mean for medicine, and how some scientists think it could change the course of human history. If you edit an embryo, you could potentially change both that person and the genes that they pass on to the next generation. Is that something we want to be able to do as a society? Yeah, DNA editing. We're going to dig into the science and the ethics of all of it. You're listening to Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, Tricia, buckle your seatbelt. It's time to talk about clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats. CRISPR! Yes, that is what CRISPR stands for. And it is all super complicated science, if you couldn't tell from the acronym. So we're actually going to need some help here. My name is Megan Hochstrasser. I'm the science communications manager for the Innovative Genomics Institute. Megan is a scientist. She got her PhD studying CRISPR, and now her job is just to explain it to people because it is, in fact, that complicated. So before we can explain how to edit DNA, let's all just remind ourselves what DNA actually is. Basically, DNA is a blueprint for how cells work and how your body works um, as a whole. And if you can control the DNA, you can change the way the body works. DNA is the blueprint. 
And in a genetic disease, the root of the problem is there's a glitch in that blueprint. Yeah, there's like a typo or something. So me and my dad, something is going wrong inside of our eye cells. So we can use this crazy treatment, CRISPR, to edit the little bit of bad DNA out of those exact eyeball cells. What does that mean? (laughs) How do you edit DNA out of your DNA? What? (laughs) It's a fair question. And the deal is, this is a treatment based off of a thing that bacteria do, actually. It's how bacteria defend themselves against viruses. So this is something that happens in our bodies, but also like out in nature, wherever bacteria run into viruses, this is what they've been doing for a really long time. Jets and sharks kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. But what's super new is scientists have figured out how to use that process to edit DNA. And that is CRISPR. The CRISPR system basically is just a way of finding a specific site in DNA and cutting it. You'd ideally want to try all the different variations of the tool that you have to make sure you're using the the best one you can. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say best one, (laughs) but (laughs) you know what I mean. Yeah, no, it's perfect. So for my eyes, we're talking about cutting bad DNA out. It's, it's a programmable scissors, as it were. That is Dr. Bruce Conklin. He's the deputy director of the Innovative Genomics Institute at the University of California in San Francisco. I don't know if you heard that, but while Bruce was talking about programmable scissors, he's literally playing with a pair of scissors. It's a programmable scissors, as it were. Um, I totally hear the scissors. And this is the guy who emailed your dad while your dad was grilling salmon. Yes. Dr. Bruce is using our eye disease to study gene editing. He wants to figure out how to fix our eye cells with CRISPR. It's not even a hypothesis. We know that if we can get rid of the bad copy in Greta's RPE, that for that cell at least, it's completely cured. Okay, you're going to take out the bad gene. I know how you get rid of a kidney. It's not working. (laughs) You cut somebody open. And it's kind of messy, and you could watch it on ER or whatever. But when we're talking about an eye cell, how, like, is there the tiniest melon baller scoop? Like, what? That's what I like to envision, a tiny, tiny scoop. That's a great uh, analogy. Um, I think that the... The tiniest scoop. (laughs) These DNA scissors. This sounds totally like science fiction to me. But that step comes later, right? Like the scissors we don't have yet. What's happening right now? Okay, so back in December, when I was back home in Alaska, I went to my dad's eye clinic. You had a blood sample taken, just like a regular, ordinary blood sample. And uh, then what we did is put it into a like a little package that is like you'd have for your lunchbox with a little cold pack in it and uh, shipped it to San Francisco. First things first, designing the treatment. So it starts with a blood sample, and Dr. Bruce is currently using my blood, and he has some of my dad's blood as well, to make our very own stem cells. There are these super skilled, nerdy, compliment, uh, people back there who are making, you know, just from your blood, they make stem cells. So these cells have all the characteristics of a cell that you'd get from an early embryo in the sense that they can make any cell in your body. And then from those stem cells, they make retinal cells. Okay, wait. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) They're taking blood cells, making new stem cells, and then turning those into eye cells? Yeah, he's literally growing me eye cells right now. Isn't that insane? I did not know we could do really any part of this. (laughs) If you asked me three years ago... Uh, you know, if sh- people should even try this sort of thing, I would say no, because it's just kind of ridiculous. Because the 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 type of 
of efficiency and fidelity uh, that would be required was just not proven yet. And I even like wrote editorials about how this field was moving too fast. But everything that I've wanted, that I sort of demanded should be there, has actually all of those criteria have been met. So Dr. Bruce is making replicas of my retinal pigment epithelium cells. Those are cells in my eye, in my retina, and that's where the bad DNA is. So the idea is when those don't work, I can't see. So if they can just edit the bad DNA out of those, then maybe that will stop this disease from getting worse. Stop it in its tracks. Yeah, ma'am. And so they got to try this a bunch in a Petri dish. Yes. And then they're going to do all kinds, lots and lots of kinds of lab testing. And then at some point, they're confident enough that they're going to try to put this into people, like into your eyes? Yeah, that's the idea. Okay, so Dr. Bruce figures out how to do this, make these teeny tiny scissors, which, by the way, are not made out of, like, metal. They're made out of stuff that naturally occurs in the body, which is how he's going to now, what, get them in your eyes? How? Well, yeah, so the CRISPR system is an enzyme and then a guide RNA, and that's the part that tells you where to cut. And essentially what he's going to do is give me a shot of that CRISPR system right into my eyeballs. Yeah. And to dramatically oversimplify, the eye cells where the genetic defect is are going to be like, hey, we'll absorb anything. And they just slurp those scissors right up. And once those scissors are inside, they get to slice and dice that bad DNA right out of my eye cells. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those hypotheses that, like, I can't even really fathom. How soon could this happen? I mean, you know, in an optimistic world, I think uh, we'd like to be doing this with your dad in three years. Cool. He, cool. He wants, That's what I figured. He wants to go faster. Uh, I'm and- so surprised to hear that. <laughs> He's, you know, he's a very ambitious guy. Um, But a lot of people are doing this sort of genome surgery with diseases which are much more pressing, where the patients are going to really lose severe function or uh, in a much more uh, rapid way. And one of the things that's so valuable about this whole process is that we can we can take our time. So it might be a few years still before you get a shot in your eyeball. Yeah, totally. And I mean, considering that I thought I would never see a treatment in my lifetime, it's still pretty insane. And like, this is all because my dad emailed a guy while grilling some fish. Like, that's crazy. That is super crazy. It is nuts. And it's nuts to Dr. Bruce, too. I've been doing this for research for over 30 years, and uh, this is the peak of my scientific experience. Uh, There's no question about that. So this treatment could be used in my eyes in a couple of years, which means in the future, farther down the line, like a kid might never even have to have best disease at all. Ten years from now or something like that, I hope people who've got this disease, when they're even when they're four years old, for instance, like you were diagnosed, they would just fix it and then the person will never know that they had the disease. But CRISPR isn't just for eyes. I, I think it comes down to the fact that this can work in any cell type. So it's, if you can think of a kind of cell, we can do something cool on it with CRISPR now. That's Megan, our CRISPR expert, and she is saying, to be clear, that yeah, this doesn't just work in Greta's eyes. Hypothetically, we could edit the DNA of any cell. That's sort of where the whole ethical debate comes in. 
it's not always just restoring something or fixing something or making someone that has some sort of issue that they don't like in their lives and getting rid of that issue and fixing it. Um, it could be taking someone that is healthy and enhancing them um, or enhancing a plant or a, a rabbit or something else. Um, but I think most of the ethical issues come in with humans. So is that something we want to be able to do as a society? If you edit an embryo, you could potentially change both that person and the genes that they pass on to the next generation. So you could, if you were a government, make super soldiers. Yeah, this is the mutant part. Or you could, like, custom order a baby like you do an American Girl doll. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's scary. It is scary. So we'd be permanently altering the course of evolution um, if we decide that we think it's okay to edit human embryos. Especially, I guess the debate is sort of, one, do we want to edit human embryos? Should that be allowed? And then two, if we are going to allow it, for what purposes? Um, so are we going to just prevent disease or are we going to enhance people? Yeah, so there's a bunch of questions. Like all technology, it's not inherently good or bad. It just amplifies our best and worst ambitions. A tool is a tool. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. Um, it's kind of like fire. You can use fire to heat your house or you can burn someone's house down. I think scientists in this case early on were really vocal about trying to tell the public, trying to tell lawmakers, all kinds of people what was going on so that people could start deciding how we might use the technology, how we might regulate it before we're at the point where we can already just use it to do whatever we want. Because once you have the tool, you can't really stop people from using it. So I have a weird question for you, Megan, mm -hmm. that is maybe unfair, but I'm curious. <laughs> if you were in my position where you had this genetic disease that doesn't super impact your life now, but could eventually, and someone comes up to you and says, like, hey, I think we have a solution. Um, but you're, like, one of the first people who will ever have this crazy technology. And it could theoretically totally screw up your eyeballs and make things a lot worse or not. Would you do it knowing what you know? Hmm. That's a great question. I, I've been thinking about this kind of thing a lot. I don't know. I mean, I think in your case, if you're just at the point of using cells, donating cells is easy. There's no real risk to you there. Um, but actually doing something in your body is dangerous it, to some extent always. You know, every medical procedure has some risk of side effects. I don't know. I think it would be hard, especially if I weren't a scientist and I couldn't read all of the other studies and know all about the background and decide for myself um, it, I don't know what I would do. It's, it's tough. It's funny. Cause even as I heard you talk about like reading all the studies, my, my immediate reaction was, well, I'd rather just trust somebody, mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm not like worried about it. I'm mostly just super curious. Mm -hmm. It's a good way to be. That's a very special episode about eyeballs and the ethics of altering human evolution <laughs> in just a minute. Okay, Greta, so like zoom forward a couple years. Dr. Bruce has these crisper scissors ready to go. You sit down and you could get this shot in your eyeballs. 
Can I just say you seem remarkably calm for somebody who might have to have a needle injected into their eyeballs? I'm still kind of freaking out a little bit about that notion. <laughs> you know, I have thought about that. And the thing about an eyeball shot is that you got to watch the needle come nope. in right into your eyeball. Nope. I think they'll actually, like, put me to sleep for it, ah. I would guess. But I'm also not first in line in this situation. We go for Greta's father first, right? Yes. Right? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> But I think the reason that we want to is, A, because he's got more advanced disease, and we're going to design everything with him so that it's also directly applicable to you. And then we'll be able to see, like, okay, how did that work with your dad? Then we'll, we'll propose it to you. We, we'll also we'll ask your permission, and it'll be a whole other consent <laughs> process, essentially. Eventually, over time, this will become more standard, but because you are going to be among the first in the world, we have to take a lot more precautions in advance. Dr. Bruce is taking these steps super seriously because even once he finds the perfect pair of CRISPR scissors, something could go wrong. So it's possible that your dad goes in first, he gets this shot in his eyes, and he loses his vision or he loses his vision faster. I mean, it's all super experimental. I mean, my own ophthalmologist is shaking her head saying, yeah, um, wouldn't do it. Well, and I think it's worth noting that she convinced mom, too. Uh, yeah, well... Like, mom is not super stoked on getting shots of CRISPR genes in her eyeballs. hmm Yeah, um, that's true. Megan says we'll probably get to see a few other people be treated for different diseases before we have to decide for ourselves. In the next couple of years, before you would even have to make that decision, I think we're going to see CRISPR tested in the clinic in a lot of different ways. Maybe you'll have an indication from some of the other work that uh, this really is something promising and the people you're trusting are doing a good job. And talking with Megan makes you realize that this CRISPR stuff could change medicine for all of us. Like any genetic disease that used to be deadly could now be considered basically chronic. You could just live with it. And if we make these custom CRISPR scissors to cut out bad DNA and faulty genes before that genetic disease takes root then you don't have to experience the damage from the disease at all. Totally. So, Jim, is that why it's maybe worth the risk to you, being a part of this huge potential step forward in medicine? Yeah, it's it's really amazing in that huge sense that you just described it, Tricia. I also, I mean, I, there's the selfish piece of this. Um, I don't feel a whole lot of guilt of her handing this off to Greta. Um, I certainly didn't do it intentionally, Greta. Um, but but if, if uh, this can make a difference for Greta, I think that's really good. And uh, so that is another motivation for participating in this. So, Jim, the analogy I used with Greta is that she's kind of like John Glenn here, that Mm -hmm. she's going to be among the first or the first to do something. And, of course, with John Glenn, it was being the first American astronaut to strap himself in a rocket and try to orbit the Earth. But then Greta corrected me, Jim Johnson, you are John Glenn. Hmm. You have to rely on a bunch of smart, dedicated people doing science. And at some point, you're just going to have to decide whether or not to strap in. Exactly right. And so there's faith, I mean, right, that's involved. Um, There's this faith in science. There's this actually a bigger faith, frankly, in the people. It's going to be an interesting decision. But you're right, it is kind of like being John Glenn. Um, Yeah. 
we're going to have to manage the emotional side of this, obviously, and the optimistic, the willingness to, to dive in uh, with the risks, no question about it. But uh, that's what we do in life, right, is we make choices. And I think uh, to the extent we can get to a place where we actually can make a choice to hop into the spaceship or not uh, is a whole lot better than simply standing around. So Greta, you've got a little time to decide, but do you think you're going to do this? I don't know. I mean, probably yes. Like if dad does it and it all works out fine, for sure. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, I am kind of grateful to have a couple years for them to test it out and learn more along the way, for sure. It's really crazy. It's nuts. It also, like... I'm realizing more and more as we embark on this journey together, (laughs) the science is still early days, but we have to look to where it might go so that on the other side of our culture, we can in parallel have that conversation about, okay, when we get to that horizon Mm -hmm. scientifically, what are the laws going to look like to make sure this doesn't get totally out of control? And just what does it mean for us as humans? Yep. Yeah. What, it was, what does it mean in terms of new life? What does it mean in terms of existing life to be able to uh, edit, edit genes edit genes <laughs> the way, like, if you can change the color of your eye the way you dye your hair because it becomes so simple and so accessible, some people will cosmetically want to do all manner of things. This is orphan black, right? Mm. This is body modification. This is not just trying to create a super soldier but trying to create a super race. Like these are things that we have to talk about as a culture in parallel to the scientists who should just stay focused in their lab with this in mind, in the back of their minds. But the rest of us who aren't scientists, maybe that's part of our job right now to help move this ball forward. Like I'm not going to help make CRISPR better, but maybe my role as a person who cares about science and humanity is to make sure that we're having this conversation right now so we don't end up with x-men superhumans to kill us all <laughs> in 50 years i would not Conspiracy be surprised theory alert. yeah i mean i think organic matter will still be far more precious than like drone warfare you know what i mean like i think there are other technologies sure. that sure. are going to actually be more efficient than like growing super soldiers in most instances right do you have like a Google News alert set up for CRISPR now? Because I do, just from talking to you about do you it. Really? Yeah, totally. Because I'm just super invested now in figuring out, first of oh. all, like how we're altering the course of human evolution <laughs> bit by bit. Want to be on top of that in my news cycle. But also, I'm really fascinated by the fact that whatever happens in the next two years could inform this thing that you get to do. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I try not to think about all this most of the time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. It's like what dad said about being the frog in the pot. Like, I don't want to spend all my time thinking about being a frog in a pot. And I think thinking about CRISPR now for me is like reminding myself of this potential future that would be super miserable in addition to the hope. Right. Like, I don't want to get so excited about it that I'm devastated if it doesn't work out. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay, I will keep you abreast at an interval of your choosing of (laughs) CRISPR related news. Yeah, yeah. CRISPR Twitter is really interesting. <laughs> Love what's, my CRISPR listservs. What's, what's CRISPR Reddit like? Have you delved CRISPR into CRISPR Reddit? Reddit is a whole thing. 
I like the subsection that's about mutants. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you would like that section. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak, and our intern is Stefania Gomez. Special thanks to my dad, Jim Johnson. Also, many thanks to Bruce Conklin, Megan Hochstrasser, the Genomics Institute, the University of California in San Francisco, and additional extra special bonus pizza thanks to Ben Calhoun. Pizza thanks! <laughs> Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. And you know what else is super helpful is if you leave us some stars on Apple Podcasts. Many thanks to Sue of Gryffindor for the review, Greta of Hufflepuff, and Trisha of Ravenclaw. Thank you very much. Could you... With CRISPR, <laughs> make make Hogwarts? someone a different house. Oh, God. If we figure out what genes, for example, make somebody brave and you edit their genes, I think the you could edit there, them into a Gryffindor. Is it nature or nurture? Mm, as we know, mm. it is our choices, not our abilities, that make us who we really are. <laughs> I'm glad we're Dumbledore. with the Dumbledore quote. I think that's very important. We will put some quotes about Harry Potter and some news about CRISPR in our newsletter. If you want to learn more about it, yes, go to wbez.org slash nerdette to sign up for the newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework! Do your homework! CRISPR is now my second favorite acronym. What's your first favorite acronym? TARDIS, obviously. TARDIS! Time and relative dimension in space. <laughs> I should have guessed. I knew that. Mm-hmm. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.